Welcome to Center Maryland. My name is Damien O'Doherty, and we are very fortunate to have on the Lobby Pod uh, a friend of Center Maryland uh, and certainly uh, a big star in the Maryland General Assembly. That's Delegate Bonnie Cullison of Montgomery County. They call it District 19. Delegate, what, what would you say are some of the... Uh, some of the attributes of your district that people might identify with district 19 or, or places they might know of. Oh, in terms of the location, kind of, That's if, right. if you uh, stuck a pin in the middle of Montgomery County, you'd be in the center of my district and it stretches from North to South, from East to West. Uh, we are not the entire County, but it feels that way sometimes. Um, it's an ex uh, Aspen Hill and Silver Spring, the, um, the, a part of um, the Silver Spring that is north of uh, downtown Silver Spring. Um, and it's an extremely diverse district. It's a very it, it, um, incredibly diverse and rich in terms of our personalities and our cultures and our economics. And um, it's a great place to live. <laughs> Can you talk to me? I mean, look, you talk about being in the center of Montgomery County. I think anybody that follows Maryland politics knows that you're at the center of so many healthcare conversations. I mean, you've had a, a very thoughtful, uh, nuanced look at, um, at liability reform. You've been at the center of the health equity conversation. Um, so much of the COVID conversation was coming through the channels that, that, that you preside over, that you're a part of. Can you talk to me about some of the highlights from this last legislative session? Oh, for, you, and, for you personally? And, for, for, well, <laughs> yeah, and I hope for residents of Maryland. I mean, I think, you know, we were really, that was um, top of mind as we went into what I would call um, an incredibly intense and uh, fast paced session because we started on the second day, which we rarely do. We really, I mean, we mostly have um, briefings for the first week or two in a normal session. And we did not finish until midnight on the 90th day. And we kept plowing through some really incredible legislation. Um, one of the major things that it came out of our experience with COVID was the telehealth bill to preserve telehealth. And what we ended up doing, this was a, uh, an interesting bill to work on because there were so many different perspectives. I mean, when you have the healthcare providers, the consumers and the insurance carriers all talking about what they need in this situation, you've got a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different opinions. And so um, I en enjoyed the opportunity to meet with those groups and, fashion something that we could all agree to at the end. And it is basically to continue what's been happening because of COVID, which was that the insurance companies were going to pay telehealth service, pay for telehealth services at the same rate as in-person visits and study it and find out, you know, what, um, how does this really work? What is, how can telehealth become integrated into our healthcare uh, service model in a way that makes the most sense and in a way that makes the most sense in terms of reimbursement. Um, so, and one of the things that we were really focused on was its role in supporting those with mental health and substance abuse issues. Because one of the things we discovered during the pandemic was that was a, an incredibly viable way for these individuals to be in touch with their service providers. 
So the connection between behavioral health, telehealth, and uh, the onset of COVID sort of created uh, an atmosphere where you were able to pass legislation that's going to give uh, folks, uh, folks uh, like the ones you're talking to that ha- and folks that uh, in my family that have all kinds of challenges from a behavioral health or mental health standpoint, you, you think that the doors open there now with this new legislation that there's some, there's some real telehealth options for, for people in the behavioral health space. Oh, absolutely. Or am I not getting it? Yeah. No, no, you're getting it. And, and, and we're going to um, study it to make sure that we're going to maximize its utilization going forward in the, in the way that's best for the patient. But the other exciting part of the te- studying the telehealth is um, what we learned is there's some, model kinds of programs out there that are ultimately going to cost the consumers less and perhaps lower insurance premiums by allowing telehealth to be the like the triage kind of uh, program. And um, so instead of going to an urgent care center because you've got uh, a, a redness in your eye, you go to your telehealth provider, you show them your eye, and, and that telehealth provider tells you, go to urgent care, go to an ophthalmologist, or go to the ER. So, um, or go to the drugstore, buy this product, and put it on your eye, and you'll be fine. So, uh, you know, uh, in in uh, in the traditional behavioral health marketplace for healthcare, you know, you, you might find yourself at a uh, Shepherd Pratt, or you might work with your primary physician that says some of your anxiety is up. Not that I have any experience with this, but would, uh, so, so would there be some adaptability here or opportunity here for providers to really get some initial solutions almost on your phone? So, you know, instead of bogging down my primary care doc or a psychotherapist or something, could I, you know, just plug in initially with, you know, via text or phone, do you think with, with some of these folks and then they could sort of triage me through the phone? I just feel like there could be so much savings to the health care system. If there was a, if there was some way that folks could get kind of walked through their own experience, their own feelings, but, but also just channeled to, you know, the right place. I, I just wonder if those first contacts can't be really something special. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that's what we did. We provided that opportunity. One yeah. of the things that's new in this bill is that audio only. So really just on the phone, not a, not yeah. a, a video call um, can be paid for because it op- opens that opportunity that you were just describing folks who want to make that initial contact may, you know, have some reservations, may need some information and get that service um, without going, jumping through a lot of hoops. Right. Right. Thank you so much. That's exciting to see. And uh, it's good to see there's some silver linings coming out of this uh, COVID crush that, uh, that, that came on to you and the general assembly talking about opioids uh, seems to be something else folks are focused on i know there's a, a group called rally mm-hmm. uh be interested to hear what your take is on maryland's opioid situation and what you all are doing to to try to manage it well i think um we're trying to deal with it from the social services perspective uh at least and so far it's been limited to that i mean i i'm interested in things like 
um, you know, programs like needle exchange kinds of programs or centers where people can go. Um, we haven't been able to move that legislation, you know, unfortunately, because I think if we provide people safe places, they would, um, we could have better opportunity for counseling, for outreach that could kind of help them through the addiction piece. But, you know, again, it's, that's um, challenging legislation to get through. And I, I suspect we're going to be seeing it again. I hope that we're going to be seeing those things again and say, we, you know, we've got to talk about this in all seriousness. Um, well, keep your courage up on that <laughs> because that's, that, that is, that's very meaningful. Yeah. Um, but I think so far our primary focus has been on, um, you know, providing the resources, the counseling resources uh, as much as we can. But there, even that is a, uh, uh, an issue because we don't really have a sense of how to get people into programs. And I think that's another piece of policy that we have to really begin to focus on more uh, uh, in a tar- more in a targeted way. One piece of legislation, again, that we haven't been able to pass. And, you know, I, I, we did pass a lot of good <laughs> legislation, but a couple got missed. And this is one where we actually have a registry of all of the available beds for folks in these different kinds of programs so that we can plug people in in a much more organized fashion. I had a constituent. I couldn't find a bed for this person. I mean, we were calling all over the state and this person was really needing help. I mean, felt like they were in a crisis situation and, and I, and I incorporated every lever I knew. And it's because we don't really know where the beds are. So, um, or where the programs are all the time. So I think, you know, we've got some more to work, you know, we've tried to deal with it in terms of the interpersonal kinds of connections, but we need more in terms of the actual remediation services for opioid and substance abuse. I hope I'm not being out of line here, but one, one thing I really dig about you is that uh, when you learn about your biography, you know, uh, in one of the most progressive jurisdictions in America, you are the leader of the most prominent union, the, the, the Montgomery County Education Association, representing all the, the teachers in Montgomery County. Uh, you're in the middle of uh, this healthcare experience. Did your day-to-day work as a uh, union chief and leader give you a, a unique insight into the healthcare system? Because I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, what kind of exposure a, a, a union leader may have to exactly those kind of pinch points that you're addressing right now, or maybe I'm totally off. It's just an interesting collision of experience and, and opportunity for the state when you're, when you're at the center of this healthcare discussion. Um, well, I look at it kind of from two different angles. One is I knew a little bit about um, insurance costs because I negotiated contracts and we were constantly putting our, um, and MCPS is self-funded. And so we were constantly putting out our um, healthcare programs to bids because we wanted to keep those costs as low as possible to use the funds in other ways, um, you know, to, for, for wages and working conditions and pensions and things like that. So, so to that extent, I had some knowledge of the insurance industry, um, but not a lot, mostly from the, the price point, but where I feel like I learned the most was 
how to think about, listen to a lot of different perspectives and try to find a way forward to solve old problems with new solutions. And I really, you know, I, I hope that's what my legacy was as president of the Montgomery County Education Association and what I think that's what folks see in me in the, in the legislature. Um, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm told that, you know, I'm the person who can sometimes get people in the room that don't usually like to see each other in the room. <laughs> so I think that might be a big piece of this because I, I got labor leaders saying wonderful things about you. I have hospital leaders saying wonderful things about you. I got, you know, so. But, it, you know, so I learned from my experience as president that every perspective is important. And you can't, if you, if you think you know the answer from your own perspective, you're missing the big picture. So that now, but I'm going to go one more thing though. The thing that I am most excited about personally is my first year as a delegate, I was introduced in my district to a school-based health center. I had no idea, Damien, that there were these amazing mini clinics inside schools that are located where the families are most affected by poverty. And I, I was like overjoyed but this program is totally underutilized, totally under-resourced. So I've literally spent the last seven years trying to get the state of Maryland um, to recognize the value of this program and to expand it. And I'm, we've made some good progress. And uh, Talk to me about that. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Does that is progress mean you've got more um, health centers across the state or does it mean the, the ones that are there are getting, you know, better staffing ratios or how does that well, so how does a couple of different things one the the very first thing that we did um so so school-based health centers because they were located in schools were managed by the state department of education that you know there's a disconnect there um and right. so i the bill that i was able to pass this year but took us some time to get to and some intermediate steps was to get to um turning the clinical operations over to the Department of Health, specifically the, the Division of Maternal and Child Health. And to me, that's a perfect marriage. And, you know, my background in education, I am a gigantic fan of public education. I believe it is the bedrock of democracy. And, and, but, and to healthcare is kids who are sick can't learn. Kids, you know, and if they don't, if families don't, can't have access to healthcare. So to me, this is a perfect marriage between um, providing all students with um, uh, the opportunity to be for their best learning environment by making sure that they have the resources they need to make use of that environment. So um, we did, so that was, um, getting those clinical operations turned over to the health department is good. We now have a, uh, a joint council on the advancement of school-based health centers that includes physicians and hospitals and um, principals and superintendents and um, myself and Senator Clarence Lamb from Howard County. Um, and the doctor. We, yeah, the doctor. So we, we talk about how do we, how do we expand? How do we make the difference in this program? 
we're just beginning to see the impact in terms of growing the program. St. Mary's County is getting its first two school-based health centers this year, this July. They're ready to open. I'm ready to go to their opening. Just They're just going to tell me when. Um, yeah, let us know, too, because we'd, we'd love <laughs> to do a shoot from there or something fun to, yeah, to, no, to, to point it out. I mean, it's a portal uh, into the ideal part of your constituency to not, uh, you know, to, I mean, it's just, it makes so much sense and to, to fortify that portal and to make sure that, you know, kids can really get access to this opportunity is super cool. And to put it in the hands of DHMH where you have, you know, the, our state's most treasured compassionistas working. <laughs> right. Sounds like, sounds yeah. like you got some traction. I think so. I'm really excited. You know, one of the things that one of the other steps we did real quick was to uh, up until last year, the only um, these health clinics are not paid for by the school system. They're sponsored by organizations, usually federally qualified health centers um, and um, or the county can do it. The county health department, um, but which is what Montgomery County does for a lot of them. We have 13 of them in Montgomery County. Um, but we, last year we opened it up so that physician practices could sponsor them and hospitals could sponsor them. So that would allow us to expand them even more. So I'm really excited, as you can tell. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you talked about creating an environment where you can come up with some collaborative solutions. It sounds like on drug pricing, you were able to do this as well. Uh, I understand that there was uh, legislation that's referred to as reverse auction, which really gets at some of the pernicious pricing problems. Uh, sorry for the alliteration there in, uh, in, in, in the, in the pharmaceutical world and, and folks depend on these medicines so much you're able to get them, uh, a more fair, transparent look through this new process that you put together. Can you, uh, make me sound a little smarter and elaborate <laughs> on that a little bit. Well, I actually like pernicious pricing <laughs> process. <laughs> That's <Sorry>. extremely appropriate. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I've learned um, in my work in the pharmaceutical world, you know, as the chair of the subcommittee is the, the um, process for pricing pharmaceuticals is um, it, it's a morass and the, and even uh, people who study it have struggled explaining how it works because it works. It, it, it it's sort of at the will of the different characters who are involved in it, and they all point fingers at each other, and nobody really knows what anyone's doing. So lots of stuff behind the scenes, um, and um, so the first thing that we did just to before I get to the reverse auction is the creation of the prescription drug affordability board. And that board was literally to try to make sense out of the pricing process for Marylanders and look at, uh, be able to explain why prices were so high. And when they were, when they were really high or they increased by um, more than, I think it's 150% in a year, then you know the companies would have all the different players in the company would have to explain how that increase happened and why it was needed, and we can use that information for policy making. You know, and one of the rec the possible recommendations that the board could make to us 
is that they would, we would set um, an upper payment limit and say, look, the state of Maryland can only pay this much for this drug. You know, if you're going to sell us this drug, this is how much we can pay for it. Right. That hasn't happened yet, you know, because the board has only really is only um, one year into operation and spent that first 12 months in setting up, but it's going to be also involved in, in, uh, assessing the value and the utilization of the reverse auction. And so um, I don't, I could spend an hour explaining how the reverse auction works, but I'm going to give you the- It first. sounds like a hackathon. <laughs> you know, to me, it sounds like, it just sounds like a great, uh, it sounds like a great idea. But <laughs> Basically what it does is it puts the state in charge of the contract for, um, for the, um, the drug pricing process, and specifically with the pharmacy benefit managers. Pharmacy benefit managers are the middlemen who are um, getting the drugs to the pharmacies and to the customer ultimately. And they're the, the, care, the, the group that is doing most of the negotiation with the carriers and the manufacturers. So what the reverse auction does is instead of having them describe the process and what they can provide for us, we as a state are going to say, based on our needs, based on the number of people in our state programs, you know, our, our employee programs, our correction system, um, uh, we, this is what we need. This is, you know, these are the, the kinds of pharmaceuticals we need. This is how much we need. What can you do for us? What kind of a contract can you write for us? And that'll be put out to all the pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs, and they'll be able to create a bid. And then, um, and it'll go through a technological process where we'll be able to compare one bid to another. Right now, under the current process, you can't do that. It's impossible to compare those bids, but under the new process, because we're being very specific about what we want, um, they'll be able to make those comparisons. Let the bidders know, you know, you were outbid by this company. If you want to try again, we'll give you that second bite of the apple. And eventually we'll get that, uh, we should get those prices down. In the state of New Jersey, in, they've been operating this now for three years and they've saved $2.5 billion. For, They're for on track their to residents, right? <laughs> yes. Like you, like you yes. reminded me at the outset <laughs> yes. of the show. I just like that's great. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That money, that is money that will be saved in premiums yeah. primarily. It's like a tax cut um, nobody gets to talk yeah. about, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Because if you think about it, um, it uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals is now 33% of your healthcare premium. Used to be you know, like 10 years ago, it was 10 or 15. It's now at least 33%. So we got to get those pharmaceutical costs You've talked so much, um, we've talked so much about healthcare, um, but I'd like to dig a little deeper if you have a moment and just, you know, you're obviously somebody who came into the Maryland General Assembly with a great deal of understanding and experience how it works and the players. But I'd like you to give me kind of your, cascade approach to problem solving, because I think it's very special. Obviously, I love the collaboration and, and, and all voices coming to the fore. But I've also noticed that you identify 
not just the negative aspects of what's going on in the state, but you you identify positive things that are happening and then try to uh, reinforce them or or scale them. I just love to hear a little bit about how you look at your, you know, how you how you look at these problems and then how you develop a solution set that brings us uh, to where we are on these issues. It's, it's, uh, it's particularly like the scaling, you know, you, you're making a decision like on the, on the, on the school health centers, like this, this works, this is something we should be scaling. Now, how do we scale it? Right. And, and it sounds to me like people I'm sure would not realize like, wow, I've got to first, I've got to shift it over to the right department. Then I've got to give them the tools and expertise to fortify the experience. I just, I, just, I really appreciate your approach and would love to hear how you think as a legislature, legislator through the session, or it's, it sounds to me like it's a, it's a real vision of how you approach legislating. I just would love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I appreciate your acknowledgement of that because I, you know, to me, it's most, it's most important. It's the approach that allows me to get out good outcomes. And, you know, I, I, be, I would say um, I would consider myself the facilitator and in, in an approach that allows smart people to come up with good options. And you begin with the notion that there are lots of good options to solve a problem. It's not just one. Typical government, and you know, and I'm going to be the first person to say that in many cases, government deserves the um, reputation it has in terms of being slow to change and being, you know, you know reticent and looking at things nar- very narrowly. You know, in the school-based health center, if if we went the typical approach, we would just said, "Hey, give us another couple." hundred million dollars and we can, you know, make as many school-based health centers as we want. But we took a different approach because it was, um, it's not just about the money. I mean, money is going to be important, but let's identify how to use the money in the very best way. And so that's why when I meet with folks and say, all right, let's, let's think about it in terms of what are our goals here? What's the real goal? And then what are the steps that we need to to take to get there? And what are the options for each of those steps? So, um, you know, that's really you know, how I approach all but my- give me, But give me this, this, I mean, that's a very deliberate approach. And, you know, you got a four-year term. There's something special about your approach to me because it exudes a sense of confidence about your length of stay in the game. You know, and the pragmatism of the, rea- you know, your pragmatic approaches to the reality you're dealing with. And so, you know, like, like if I'm a delegate, I'm thinking about, this is probably why I'm not a delegate, but if I'm a delegate, I'm thinking in year one or two, like, what are some quick wins I can get to put on my direct mail or, you know, <laughs> or uh, to communicate with my uh, constituency and why you've achieved some pretty remarkable reforms you know, those aren't, those aren't bumper sticker uh, politics. And so it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see you manage that. Any thoughts there? Um, I, for me, the thought is it's the policy that drives me. It's the policy that matters. And, you know, I, you know, I said that's fairness to you. Policy means fairness to you. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Policy is, 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 
getting the the law or whatever it is, it may not be a law. It may be the resources that we need to make good things happen for Marylanders. Um, and that and the best stuff doesn't happen quickly. Now, having said that, in the very first two years of my first term, I was definitely saying, hey, I need some stuff that I can talk about. <laughs> uh, so, um, but, you know, a lot of, of um, campaigning is about vision. And that I, you know, I, I am a fan and I'm looking forward to the day when we have a single payer health fan plan. But I know I have learned enough now to understand why that can't happen like that. It's got to, or so quickly, we really have to work through many things. And, and some folks see that as a delay tactic. What I see it as realism, because, um, you know, if, if insurance companies disappeared tomorrow, which I'm not advocating for that, by the way, so please don't, don't nobody jump off a cliff. Um, but if they were, I mean, just think of the people who would be out of work. I mean, you know, it's like just trying to imagine, you know, what the consequences of these dramatic changes are That's right. um, and put the pieces in place. Well, I think so, they're finding it. Don't you think they're finding a new, thanks to all your oversight, I think those insurance companies are finding new uh, roles to play in the experience, you know, with savings and innovation. It's been interesting to see where you all have pushed them. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that they've been partners in this yeah, conversation. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I think, I mean, I think that's, that's the other thing is I, I view folks who are advocating from their different pers perspectives as the partners in the process. Um, and, um, you know, my goal is always consensus. I don't, I can't always get all the way to consensus, but you know, so far we've been pretty good at getting to, all right, I can live with it if you make me live with it. And then can we revisit it, you know, a little while down the road? Yeah, I keep saying, you know, I was like, think she's a change maker, but consensus maker gets you to be a change maker, I guess, right? I hope so. <laughs> Let me ask you a hard question. Um, I am from the, the greater Baltimore region, you know, Howard County, Baltimore County, the Patapsco River Valley is how I, I identify my native lands. And Montgomery County has always been a very special place, but it's always seemed to be certainly in the political realm, almost to be a state unto itself sometimes. And it's been a real bastion of liberal thinking and liberal ideas. And, you know, whether it's smoking or affordable housing, they, they've been on the forefront in the state. But I, there seems to be there seems to be a sense of stagnation in Montgomery County or a sense maybe that it's not, you know, achieving the quality of life that it that it is fully capable of as so many of our jurisdictions do so i just wondered is there are there new ideas and there are new is montgomery county going to become a place where new ideas new liberal ideas and housing and transportation that will see that imp, uh, effectuated at the local level or um have at me, argue with me, whatever, whatever you think. I'd love to hear your point of view. Cause we, we view you as like, I just, this is me talking. Uh, so we view you, we just think like you got it all down there, you know, but do you got it all? That's uh, so I don't know. Let me know what your thoughts. Um, I don't know if it's, uh, you well, know, your dog, your dog doesn't uh, like that. Yeah, question. That's right. He says, Wait a minute. <laughs> Somebody's in the house. Um, 
No, I think um, I am very encouraged by the young people that I see now running for office in Montgomery County. Uh, I am extremely encouraged by the young people who are in the Maryland delegation to the uh, House of Delegates. I think this is one of the most terrific groups of people. We have such a range of, there's a range of ages, there's a range of income, there's, you know, we're not all lawyers. I mean, um, so um, I, I believe that we, we may be um, at a point where these young folks are going to, you know, make a real impact in, in the change that we see in Montgomery County. And they're bringing the, pro- the progressive ideas and, and they bring also a sense of, of um, can-do spirit, right? I mean, the, the, um, that I think is gonna help us move beyond the stagnation. You know, it's, it, you know, I appreciate and respect every member of our county council, but I really wish there were more women's voices. I really uh, wish there were more voices of color on that council. Um, right. Because, you know, as you just heard in the last 20 minutes, my vision is that there are all voices are heard. And so, you know, you've got to make sure that there's a place for everyone's voice to be heard. And so, again, as I'm learning from candidates who are running for local offices, uh, I'm very encouraged that, yeah, I think, I think we could, we could get through this, this, we can pass through now uh, and do some really new and innovative things. Just a fun question. I've never had a chance to ask anybody else. Uh, any, any new music out there or uh, entertainment we should not even new music any music recommendations you have for your uh, center maryland audience you know i i unfortunately don't listen to too much music anymore i mean i and i'm embarrassed by that and i i acknowledge it's like I'm, why am i listening to the news all the time <laughs> i do not recommend that actually <laughs> i am actually a big fan of books on tape so and i like fiction so um, that's my way to escape the news. Um, and I and I would recommend, if you like books on tape, that first of all, public libraries are a great place to get them. Right. But there's an online uh, library, the uh, Maryland State Library, that makes it so simple. Even an old person can do it. So, <laughs> I mean, I do it all the time. And uh, so I recommend that. Well, I don't see any or hear any old person But I do want to know who that, I want to know a little bit about that canine in the background. You have one uh, or two or you have a couple have, of? We have two and um, we have a, they're both rescues. One is a Shih Tzu who's 13, but in uh, really good health. He's a little on the needy side, but he's in really good health. <laughs> and the other is a Bichon mix. Um, and he's having a little problem right now because he had a growth removed from his, his um, leg that we learned was cancerous. And so now we're gonna, we think we can get it all, go back in and take it all out. But he spent a tough day at the vet yesterday. 
And so he's, you know, feeling a little down today, but you know, it's just another reason for me to give him a treat. What can I say? Right. <laughs> so he's going to look pitiful as long as he can, he can I think. <laughs> and if, if any legislator in Annapolis deserves a couple lap dogs, it's you after this <laughs> session. So uh, that's the best I got at this hour. <laughs> <laughs> can I add just a couple things? Just, just, I just want to make sure that the audience, anyone, anyone who's listening, um, takes advantage of the services that we have. Um, so, for example, yeah. um, uh, there's a program called Two One One Press One. So, if anyone who's struggling with opioid addiction or substance abuse um, uh, disorder, then they can they can call and get immediate help. You know, to, you know it's not a I'm going to connect you and I'll give you a phone number and you can call somebody else. It's, this is what you need. I can connect you immediately. So um, I advocate for that. Um, And we are beginning the new program. That's uh, the result of the uh, Thomas Bloom Raskin bill that uh, Senator Zucker and I uh, passed this year that if folks are having mental health challenges and, you know, worried how they're going to get through the next day or if they can face the next day. Um, We want to be proactive in helping them before they get to that crisis moment. So this program, again, using the 211 number, will, um, you can sign up for a program that says, I, you know, can you give me a call once a week and just check in on me? And, And that's what these, you know, certified health providers are going to do. They're going to call up and say, how you feeling today? How's the week been? Is, can you, do you need any help? What can we do for you to make sure that the next week is a good one for you? And so I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I just can't tell you how much I think uh, of an impact the two one one program is going to have and continue to have. And, and obviously, um, Tommy Raskin is, uh, is somebody so many people care about it's it's lovely and meaningful to have his name associated with that progress you all are providing i just i think also uh on a dollar and cents standpoint it's just going to save the healthcare system an enormous amount of money that we can you know focus into to more needy aspects yeah that's that's what i hope for so and i just i just want people to get the help they need damien that's my that's my goal because then that, and it's not just about saving healthcare, it's saving lives. And also our economy flourishes when our folks feel good. Right. That's right. And, you know, you give, you give, you know, give a call out for all of us folks that are, that are affected with that stuff. We're always looking to stand up. Uh, now, I think we, I think we feel like this, thanks to the work you all are doing and people in the media and the behavioral health space, you know, I think there's some stigma being lifted, which which just gives folks a chance to be a little more honest and open about their challenges and, and having that kind of tool available to them. I think it's going to be a game changer. We'll see, right? I hope so. Yeah. Delia Collison, thank you so much for joining us on Center Maryland. Oh, well, thank you. This has been a delightful time. I really appreciate talking with, with you, Damien. I'm happy to be there anytime. And let me know when the health center opening is uh, happening there in Southern Maryland. I don't get a chance to uh, to get down there, so it'd be fun to fun to uh, promote that achievement, uh, so that our friends throughout the political community can 
remind ourselves of all the good work that's going on instead of maybe what they see on the front pages of the paper on their screen. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Delia Collison, anything else? Um, just people can reach me uh, on the um, Maryland General Assembly website. Just type in Bonnie Collison and you'll get my contact information and I'm happy to talk to anybody. Right, Delia Collison, thank you so much for joining us. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. I agree. Take care and everyone be well. Now, if you, if you,